Welcome to Rewrite the Rules, the show about women leaders in Asia. My name is Ritu Mehrish and I interview successful women leaders across Asia to discover how they are rewriting the rules of life, career and relationships. From these conversations, we will get practical and actionable tips that we can use to accelerate our own career journeys. Don't worry about writing all the points because I will summarize them at the end for you. We will also link the entire transcript in the show notes. Good morning. Welcome, Sasi, to um, to our episode. Uh, we're really looking forward to have this conversation with you. And before I start asking you about your journey, I want to do a quick introduction for our audience. Sasi is, you know, somebody who left a stellar career in finance to start a social enterprise. And I'm not giving away more than that because I want her to share her journey, how she went from finance to now leading this brilliant social enterprise that I'm sure all of you are going to really enjoy uh, listening to the journey. So Sasi, over to you. How did you land where you are today? I was working in, in you know, I was working in finance. I thought that um, if I could earn lots of money, maybe that was one of the ways like I could help um, people in need in the world. But it quickly became clear to me that, in fact, there is actually a lot of money um, around that wants to help, but there aren't enough people executing solutions on the ground that are working and that are making mm. a difference. So, so I thought then, you know, I, I want to go do a master's and I want to learn a bit more about um development and environmental conservation because I've it was sustainability and environmental conservation has always been a big part of um I suppose what drives me as a person um so I kind of continued in in finance um for a bit and then I quit um and then I went to Africa and I worked with uh UNDP and then I saw that even in the UN there is a lot of money and there's a lot being done, but a lot of money is also going into projects that become white elephants. I mean, this is not a criticism. This is just my sure. own personal observation. Yeah. And so I went to work with a nonprofit. They're doing a lot of good, but they just don't have enough money. Um, and, you know, that was when, like, my boss at the time, Carla, uh, she's Haitian, and she uh, started doing consulting projects with um, large um, gold mining companies. And we were using the money from the consulting projects to then help our sort of nonprofit um, work. So, you know, that's when I saw that we actually need this combination of social, mm -hmm. a social entrepreneurship model um, where we can continue to make money and then use that money to do good because, the either sides of like pure capitalist or pure like uh, nonprofit models are not always working and there is a need for a middle ground. After um, Ghana, I kind of went back into finance because um, I was looking for a development job but couldn't find anything. <laughs> it was it was quite hilarious. Like uh, no, none of the development consulting firms are willing to hire me, but I got hired by a private equity firm and when I was about to turn 30, I started realizing that, um, you know, I started thinking about my family, uh, where I come from. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I'm Indian, but I grew up in Malaysia. And 
I started thinking about the fact that my parents are getting older and I want to spend time with them. So I thought, why not go back to the country that I came from and try to make a difference? Um, so when I turned 30, I came back and I started working at uh, Malaysia Sovereign Wealth Fund, Kazana. And I was working in the sustainable development team. And we invested in a carbon emissions reduction company. I actually quit Kazana after about two and a half years um, because I had a in incident, I suppose, when I was driving home at night and I fell asleep at the wheel because I was so exhausted from working long hours. And I started thinking, what am I actually doing with my life? Uh, you know, if I died or I could have died that night or that September 11th, I, you know, if I was, I had got to, gone to work that day, I would have died. Um, so it's like, what, what do I want my life to be? Um, but I really felt like I wanted to do something more on the ground and I wanted to understand and feel the impact of what I'm actually doing. So I quit my job, traveled to Cambodia and I was teaching English. And that's when I met with women and children rescued from sex traffickers rescued from brothels. But then I thought, okay, what can I do? Uh, what skills and talents do I have that I can try to do something here? So I started buying products made by those survivors um, and those who are rescued. And I just started selling it to my friends and family. Um, and then I met with uh, Dr. Kim Tan, who was an impact investor. And he said, look, if you really want to help these women and these communities in a continuous way, you have to make this into a business. It was a scary thing, but I went and registered the company. And the first three years was probably the most difficult three years because that's when I really wanted to give up because I couldn't pay myself a salary. I was alone. I was doing everything on my own. I was traveling uh, to different countries, meeting artisans, learning about their challenges and trying to figure out what can I do and what can we do in this space to really make a difference? Um, so essentially, that's how Earth Air started. Wow, wow. I know you talked about some common themes, but let's say while growing up or when you just started working, did you always know you will end up doing what you're doing? Uh, no, I mean, I think when you're a child, of course, you know, like what the world teaches, like societal values yeah. are like, oh, you want to make lots of money and have a big house and a big car. Or, I mean, whatever. Right. So yeah, it's, yeah. that's probably what I was thinking is success or what I was feeling like. That's what um, the definition of having like sort of made it and having a happy life is. Yeah. Um, and I think. In my own life, I, my father, you know, worked himself up and educated my siblings and I, and I felt very privileged. And I felt like I kind of always had that in my mind that hmm. the privilege and what I have been given is not something I should just keep for myself. Um, it's something to be shared. Wow. Wow. You know, since you touched on the topic of success, how do you define success today? Um, I think for me, it's definitely, uh, and it's always been about family and personal relationships. It's having 
people close to you um, that you that you love and um, you are loved by, really. I mean, because in the end, money comes and goes, um, but it's your family and your personal relationships that really keep you happy. So good. So good to hear that. Uh, I'm going to switch gears a little bit because, you know, um, this podcast is about women leadership and, you know, inspiring stories of women like yourself, you know, given this extraordinary journey you've had, uh, you know, from where you started and with the thought and now running a social enterprise. um, What have been some of the challenges that you faced more from a from a women leader lens? You know, I've always wondered, like, how other women who built these like big businesses did it you know working full-time and having kids and having a family so I do think that having um, a great support system helps I mean I have a husband who is incredibly supportive he actually said that he'd be a house husband (laughs) you know and I can um, you know despite all that we say about you know gender not having an impact it does because yeah it it definitely has an impact because even when I was in banking and I was in the finance world, a lot of the times I was the you know I could be the only woman in the room or the yeah. only person at the table, um, and there were times when like the client asked me if I could get the coffee and I was like, uh, you think just because I'm the only woman in the room that I'm like the secretary. Wow. And I was like, um, no, I think we can ask someone else to get that. I, for me, it's I had read these things and I'd, I'd kind of thought it happened like 40 years back. I I am almost like really shocked to hear it's happening like even now, like 10 years back or whenever this incident happened. Yeah. I mean, this happened in the early 2000s, so there you almost go. 20 years ago. But yeah, um, yeah but it, it's, uh, yeah, and And even in the social enterprise world, I think that with respect to what we are doing, like we're working with artisans, it's also seen as like, oh, it's a female kind of thing or it's not Mm. very sexy. I mean, I almost find it amusing that tech startups or tech startups generally funded, run by men, um, get funded in the millions and then they just go bust you know, yeah. and nobody says anything about all the millions. And I'm thinking if you put in those millions into social enterprises, do you know how yeah. much impact you get? Because yeah. the you're creating and helping create livelihoods. Um, so I think those are some of the challenges I, I have felt because I feel like um, with the funding world, it tends to be like a boys club, like bros, you know, and then all the women are kind of like in, on the sidelines. Um, so in the end, when I was build, you know, building Earth I we haven't had any external funding because I wanted to make sure that our business is, um, you know, running and profitable uh, and has a profitable business model built on its own revenue. I didn't want to build something that, you know, if I if my heart fully is not in this, and I'm not going to build something sustainable. I don't want to do it. Um, you know, so I wanted to really make sure that what we're doing works and is making a difference before we let any like external parties into what we are doing. Right, right. But I want to come back to to the insights in terms of how did you overcome those challenges? How did you go about overcoming those challenges, you know, paving 
a way for yourself, um, getting where you are. What were some of those, those, you know, real insights or, you know, your learnings from there? When I was struggling in, in the beginning and I was alone and you're always comparing. Like I was comparing because I was looking at other social entrepreneurs or other women or other men. And, you know, and then I, I learned a very important lesson that stay in your lane and and run the race. Like don't look to your left or right. Mm. Um, and, and that made a difference. And also in the beginning, you know, when we were just building ourselves up and when you try to contact people to take part in events or find buyers, you know, they're like, you know, they kind of brush you off because they don't know who you are and you're a nobody. Right. Um, and so there was actually a Japanese client who gave me this advice and he said, look, don't go chasing after people <laughs> do the good that you do keep doing it and then wait for people to come to you. And in a way, that's how Earth Air has grown organically over the last like 10 years. We turned 10 years this year. And, you know, all the media um, attention or, I mean, media coverage, press, uh, everything that we received um, was organic. And then also, I think coming from a background of being in finance and, and you know, I'd Having gone to Wharton and Cambridge, I used that. I was, you know, Sassy, thank, so, Sassy, thank you so much for for spelling that out because I was waiting that in the conversation you would tell our audience where did you do your finance from, where did you do your masters from? Because as as women, and again, that's just an observation, we we kind of underplay some of the stuff because I can bet my life if I was interviewing. A man here, with due respect to all all my male friends and colleagues, if I was interviewing a man here, the first thing in the introduction, he would have started saying, "I got my degree. I went to Wharton. I went to Cambridge." Like that would have come first, you know. Uh, so I'm so happy you're bringing it now, where you got your <laughs> finance credentials from. So thank you. <laughs> I mean, I guess I try not to know to talk about it. I mean, I mm. I suppose I. Like women, you don't want to be seen as you're bragging or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, for me, I realized that having had that background yeah. gives me credibility and yes. a reputation that I should use. It's very sad, but people think that, you know, someone who doesn't, who didn't come from this background, they kind of look at, look at them as like, oh, you must be like one of those tree hugger idealist types that doesn't know about the real world, right? And then I come in and I'm like, oh, I know about the real world. You know, I have been where you are. I have been in your shoes. And I'm still yeah. saying that this is the path that I'll take. And, you know, and, and in Malaysia, I mean, fine, I'll brag a bit now. Like we, we uh, are the first um, B Corp certified social enterprise in Malaysia. Um, so we're very proud of that and to shine a token for that and, like you know for more social enterprises to follow the lead and of course more large companies to follow the lead you know because i think that this is the way that business should be um we can't go through the same old like growing shareholder earnings without a thought of 
social and environmental impacts. Um, so one of the things that we're doing this year is, so my husband also runs a social enterprise called Sea Monkey Project. Um, and they work with plastic, uh, they build machines that recycle plastic waste um, that make new products. So they work with companies like Body Shop recycling their plastic bottles. So we are actually combining our operations and coming under one roof and we're creating a sustainability education center and a social enterprise um, marketplace. So we are now um, going to make earthair.com a impact marketplace to feature social impact products um, from all over Malaysia. So from other NGOs, social enterprises, individual entrepreneurs that are from marginalized communities, um, we're gonna put their products on our website and also have it sold physically in our retail shop. Um, right. So we're, we're moving into uh, central market. Wow. Wow. That's super, super impressive. You know, you've been you've been running this successfully for 10 years now. Um, what advice would you have for for young women leaders, whether they're entrepreneurs, whether they're in the corporate world, but basically young and emerging women leaders? What advice? What two, three pieces of advice would you give them? Um, I think the biggest advice I would give is to have, like, have humility. Mm -hmm. Um, because I think when I first started Earth Air, I was arrogant in some ways, um, because I thought I could do things on my own. I thought that, um, I don't need to ask for help. Um, mm -hmm. and then I realized very quickly that, uh, People cannot read your mind. There are a lot of people around you who want to help, but have no idea what help you need. So if you don't ask mm. for it, you don't get it. Um, so you have to have the humility to ask. Um, and also the other humility point was, you know, you're an entrepreneur, you have to do everything, including cleaning the toilets and, you know, yeah, whatever needs to be done, you got to do yeah. it. Um, you know, so you can't think like, oh, I'm a big boss or CEO and this is beneath me. I can't do X, Y, and Z. It's beneath me. So, so I think that has been a continual journey for me as well. Like, you know, to try and have a very flat, um, structure for our company as well, like for our team. Um, you know, so that the team doesn't feel like, oh, I'm above them or they're below me, things like that. Um, so I think that would be probably the biggest advice. And then, you know, what I mentioned earlier about staying in your lane and yeah. staying your course, um, because it's so easy to get bogged down in comparison. Yeah. So in the end, stop comparing, stop looking and just keep doing your own good, you know, find your own like North Point and follow that. Um, and then the, the good things will come along. Um, right. I think that's what I would say. Okay. So those are powerful set of advice. I, I love them. I want to ask you, if you were to look back, um, I mean, you're still young, so I'm not saying you're young, uh, your young self, but your younger self, if you were to look back and if there was one piece of advice to your, to your real young, younger self, what would that be? Um... I think in in terms of like founding your own uh, business, uh, 
one thing I wished I had done better was having like co-founders who were active in the business. Hmm. I would say like, you know, you have to have a tribe, you have to have a support system. Otherwise, you know, you're placing your own well-being in danger. Um, and I think I almost feel like some, in some ways entrepreneurship or people think becoming an entrepreneur now is become almost like a fad, like, oh, everyone can do it, yeah. everyone should yeah. do it. And I'm not actually sure that everyone should do it um, because there is an immense toll that it takes on you, your, your own well-being, your health, your personal life. So are you, do you want to make that kind of sacrifice and, and enter into that journey? Um, and also, how big do you want to grow and what do you actually really want out of your business? Um, so for me, when I was younger, you know, I had, I really had no idea the, you know, when I started Earth Air, but at that time, I didn't have the skills or the knowledge or the understanding of the ecosystem to make an impact. But now after 10 years, we do have that. And I feel like now we are ready to do that, you know, so it's a slow burn game. <laughs> That's the other thing is like, do you have the patience to go through like that entrepreneurship or actually social entrepreneurship is a slow game. It, it, this is not like, a, you know, get in and then like make 10x and then get out kind of thing. So you have to think about all of these things um, before you get into it. Um, yeah. I think I would also probably give myself the advice of being kinder to myself. Um, I think I was probably a lot harsher and thinking a lot about what other people might think about me. And I think that might also have to do with age. Um, yeah. In your in your 30s, I, you know, I was more self-conscious. Now in my 40s, I care less. Um, so I feel less stressed about achieving milestones or what other people's expectations might be um, hmm. by taking it my own pace and my own and not getting pushed into what other people want you to be because I think because we were approached by investors early on and you know and it was kind of like I wasn't ready to hmm. to be put on their timeline I wanted to do things on my own timeline um, and I could only do that if I had control of the company. Yeah. I couldn't do that, you know, if other people came in. So all of these things are things that I'm happy I did. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I think I would definitely have been, told myself to be kinder to myself and less focused on my shortcomings and I think the other thing is also to not get um, sucked into the fame or celebrity yeah. um, things. Because, you know, after a while, I started realizing that my head might be getting bigger than what I, you know, than what I would like. Because I was getting invited to lots of events to speak and I was getting these awards and all this stuff, you know. And and I'm not saying that those are not good things. They are good things. Yeah. But don't yeah. forget, you know, like the like do, like always have humility. Like don't forget why you're doing this and who you are, and don't get don't get lost in all of that, you know. So yeah, wow. those are some of the lessons. 
Great. No, this is, I mean, we could go on. This is such a such an interesting conversation. And as we come to close of our um of our conversation, the, the three things that I that I took away. I mean, there was lot, not many, but I probably if I were to pick three. The first one that we started our conversation with is defining your own success criteria. I think that was so powerful because we get so caught up in how society defines success for us or how corporate defines success for us or how we see people around us defining success for us. But the key is defining your own criteria of success because then that helps you. The second point that you made is staying in your lane because once you know what success means to you, you can stay in your lanes and not compare and not get bogged down by what others are doing. Uh, the third piece, the third uh, point that really stuck with me is, again, asking for help. I think there's a lot of work we as women and women leaders have to do is really reach out to people, ask for help, not try and do everything ourselves, because there is a tendency to kind of, you know, go a little bit into the into the martyr zone, you know, like, oh, like really trying to be very selfless. But but as you said, it takes a toll on on our mental well-being, on our, you know, and that then trickles down to our personal and professional life. So, so yes, ask for help. Um, well, I just want to give an example of the asking for help. Um, Go ahead, yes. Is, um, so in the beginning, you know, like before our, our logo was created, I was trying to like find... Um, you know, we had a few different versions of our logo and mm -hmm. it came down to the point that I actually realized I didn't know how to start thinking about representing a, a, a brand. Um, mm -hmm. And I didn't know how to tell the story of what we were doing. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to a few friends and I said, hey, I need help with branding and storytelling. So then a few, like two friends actually reached out and said, hey, I see... I love what you're doing. I think you're doing a lot of good. I'm going to help you design your logo. And then another friend who was a um, film producer and, you know, a filmmaker, she then said, oh, I'll help you make uh, a video of what you're doing. So our first few videos about Earth Air, you know, she came with me to Cambodia and like interviewed our artisans and went to meet all the communities we were working with. And, you know, so then I was like, oh, you know, I wouldn't have had this happen if I didn't tell people I needed this help. You know, so I think, you know, when you're an entrepreneur, like, please ask, you, you know, because there may be people in your community or in your networks that really just want to say, hey, I'd love to do something yeah. for you and how I can help. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, that's a powerful story. And I'm sure all of us can relate to that different level, whether it's you're an entrepreneur or a leader in the corporate world. It's the same, right? Um, just reaching out to people and people are willing to help you. So thank you so much for sharing that. Um, with that, I, I again want to thank you so much for for your time. Sassi, it was such a pleasure talking to you and wish Earth Air many more decades of success and all the best for making it bigger and better and creating more impact. So thank you so much. Thank you. And if you are in KL, please come and visit our new space. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll look that up for sure. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for staying with us till the end. If you enjoyed today's discussion, please take a moment to subscribe to the show, rate us five stars and leave a review. This really helps others find the show. And that means a lot to us. Thank you for joining us today. This is Ritu with Rewrite the Rules podcast. See you next time.